Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Don't let the 206 average fool you on this guy. He's come up on a lot of spots throughout the years with some big hits. 1-1, slugged to left field by Taylor. And we're suddenly tied. Just as I get done saying that he has had some big hits for the Dodgers throughout the years, he gets a fastball, and it is middle-middle. And the lead is no more for the White Sox. It's a brand-new ball game. Chris Taylor hits a grand slam deep to left center. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Ah, felt like things going so well up to that point, up to that inning. Sixth inning, Chris Taylor goes yard. Thanks to NBC Sports Chicago for that audio. And uh, in extra innings, Freddie Freeman ends up walking it off. White Sox lost that game yesterday, 5-4 to four in 11 innings. And so now we will see whether or not they find a way to respond from there. Wasn't long ago where they had won seven out of nine and, you know, felt like, you know, folks weren't overjoyed by it yet, but there was an inkling here. There, there was some hope. Now uh, the news has been more negative uh, with all the, the injuries to pitchers and everything else. So let's see how we can figure out a, a way the White Sox can continue to try to piece this thing together by going out to the score hotline presented by Cirque Resort Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and go out to one of our favorites, Lamont Pope of the Tribune, White Sox beat reporter. You can find him on Twitter, at Lamont Pope. Uh, that one last night did seem to sting Lamont because there, there were an opportunity there. There was home runs. There was some of the key figures in this lineup that were doing big things offensively, and then it kind of all fell apart late. Do you – did you take that as maybe a new way to lose where you, where at least some of the key figures from the White Sox seem to be doing some quality things on offense, and yet and still it, it didn't end up being enough? Yeah, I mean, they, they, you took words right out of my mouth. I mean, you, you know, you get, the White Sox entered the game with uh, zero back-to-back home runs all season long, which I, which I sort of found uh, stunning. Uh, but then they not only get one, but they get two. And so, so you get four home runs in a ball game, and that's usually going to be enough to, to win a game. Yep, four nothing. Uh, Dylan Cease is just cruising along, and then you know, kind of t- tires it out because he, he had to, you know he had ten strikeouts, but he threw a lot of pitches. Gets to the sixth, 
he said after the game that he was a little mad that, you know, he had uh, both those hitters that he ended up giving up hits in the sixth inning, too. He had them in, uh, in good pitcher's counts, and so he was a little, little mad that he was able to, to give up those hits there. And then that set the stage for, uh, as you guys played at the intro there, the the Chris Taylor grand slam off of uh, Lopez to tie the, the game on up. And, you know, the, the one of the things was even after he, the, the four home runs and you feel that, you know, the offense is making some strikes there, particularly coming off, uh, the, the game the night before, where they got some big clutch hits late in the game uh, to to win that ball game eight to four, you, you sort of see that momentum and uh, everything building and going in the right direction. Uh, but after that fourth inning, they only had one more hit the rest of the game, which was that uh, Elvis Andrews double, which then led to the crucial base running mistake. And so, even when there are some positives, as you talked about it uh, at the opening, there, there's still you know, you got to keep on building on. You got to keep on putting, the, applying the pressure, putting some pressure on. And and the fact that they only had the the double after the fourth inning uh, shows just sort of how this offense can kind of go, come and go. You, you get the big hits early, but then you need some hits late. You know, you have the guys, big guys up in those key situations in the tenth. Uh, uh, Robert and and Jimenez and and both strike on out. And so, sixteen strikeouts, way too many. Um, so some of those problems that have been creeping up all season long did show, even in the game in which you hit four home runs. Talking about home runs here, uh, the the health of Tim Anderson and the, the lack of home runs. We've all been trying to sort of you know divine it in what ways his game is impacted by what for a while felt like an assumption that maybe he. He still hasn't been right, and Steve Stone has has mentioned it multiple times on on this station that his lower body still doesn't seem like it's there. And then you had Tim Kirchin even mention it on a broadcast that he you know is apparently under the assumption that it's confirmed in some way that Tim Anderson isn't healthy. What's your impression of where Tim Anderson is at health wise? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that Pedro said uh, yesterday is like you know, there's a number of these guys that are, you know, playing on through the pain. You, you mentioned Tim, uh, Andrew, obviously, Andrew Benatendi, obviously, with uh, with a hand. Uh, you know, uh, Pedro said yesterday that he uh, texted him before the game. is like, you know, I'm going to give you the day off. And he's like, I want to play. And he's like, no, you're, you're getting the day off. And he said, well, I'll be ready to, to pinch run and, and uh or, or play defense if necessary, and so you know there there, there are a number of guys, and, and Tim is definitely one of those guys that's that I still think a little banged on up. Um, I, you know, I, but it's but it's been a little while. You know, not not even from obviously last year missing the time with the the injury, but I mean I think it was like last July the last time he has homered, and so you know it, it's one of those things as well. Peter has talked about over and over again. You know, he he was asked uh, yesterday. You know, is it time? Would you possibly think about moving uh, Tim down in the batting order? And he's like, no. No, not even no. That, that, that thought never even crossed my mind. It's not going to cross my mind. And part of his thought process is that uh, when he has when he has guys that have earned those spots, uh, have earned those positions, you know, he's not going to even if even if they're struggling a little bit, even if they're not putting up the similar numbers that they that were accustomed to, he, he, you know, he, he, the way that he said was that how he was raised, how he going on through the game is that, you know, you stick with those guys in those spots. And so, so Tim is, you know, he's still going to be in that leadoff spot. And, and he says, you know, that there's a potential there. Hey, I know that Tim can turn this around at any moment and become that hitter that we've seen these last, you know, four plus years. How about defensively with Anderson? Because it's one thing to not hit for power, but of course his average is down and we're seeing repeated errors there 
on the infield as well. I mean, the, the future of Tim Anderson as a shortstop in this town and perhaps in other towns feels like it, it's beginning to hang in the balance in a way that none of us could have predicted a couple of seasons ago. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say that the power is gone because he's still got some lower body issues. How does it feel like how, – how's it being, I guess, stated or, um, you know, just sort of evaluated in the way that it's maybe affecting his defense? Yeah, I mean, the injury part of it, I'm, I'm not too sure about. But but I know the one thing that, you know, obviously, you know, we're going back a few years when he led the American League in, in errors, right? And then, then he started making some strides. You know, that that was one area that he really worked on to try to improve over over the last few few seasons. And then, you know, this year, uh, what's, stuck, what, what's made the errors sort of stand on out have been just in the crucial situations they, they've been in, right? It's been guys, you know, plays at the plate or potential plays at the plate, you know, infield in and, you know, and he's not able to kind of to make that play from that standpoint. You know, he, he made one uh, in the Friday game against the Marlins, but then the Saturday game, you know, wasn't able to make it. And so, so it's, it's, it's you know, it'd be one thing if it, if it was, you know, to, uh, an error that in the course of a ball game, but it's, but it's stood on out uh, because it's been those big moments in, in when, the, when the team really needed to play. And so, you know, as far as, as far as how that's, how the injuries have, uh, are affecting that, I'm, I'm not too sure. I know it's more along the lines of, of what he's been able to do offensively, uh, but, but it's one of those things where, you know, when, when there has been an error, it's been one of those things that sort of has stood on out as well. And the way that injuries have continued to mount, you know, I think part of it is, is where the perception of the team has become that because so many of these guys got paid before they were a consistent part of the big ball club, that maybe that's why they're not as willing to kind of fight through some injuries. But then you hear things like, Yon Mankata, his back's been bothering him for a while and he's been trying to fight through it. Now it's just gotten you know so bad that he can't continue to fight through it. Where, where do you see that balance? Just season after season of, of injuries and games missed by injury, performances affected or impacted by injury. Uh, are there any things that the White Sox are continuing to do to try and see if they can – you know, shore up the infrastructure in a way where where this doesn't continue to be such an issue with their ball club. I mean, it it has been the the big issue for these last couple of seasons in particular, right? Um, you know, but I, I think kind of going back to what you were saying, as far as you know, we'll take uh, Johan as the example. Yeah, you know, the, the back had been bothering him. Um, he he, you know, he performed well in the uh, World Baseball Classic. You know, had a really nice start in the Houston series. Um, and then the back kind of, you know, kind of started flaring on up a little bit, uh, missed, you know, almost a month, and then came on back. And, and still, you can you could just tell that it was still impacting, uh, you know, his play, particularly, you know, swinging from the right side as well. Um, and so, so it was a situation where, the, you know, he gave it a go. And that's, and that's the thing, you know, as, as we were talking about a little earlier, uh, Tim and Intendi, uh, Johan, yeah, they're they're playing on through uh, some some of these injuries and some of these pains, and and so the you know the, the product on the field or the production on the field you know might not match what what you're accustomed to, but that's something that the guys have to, or that we all have to kind of take into effect. Uh, but you know, obviously, one positive has been uh, that Luis Robert has been able to play throughout the entire season and and be able to produce at the at the way that he's been able to produce. When you see, you know, you're kind of able to see what a, a healthy uh, Luis Robert can can do for a ball club. You know, obviously Eloy. Um, you know, I mean that's you know, that, that's something that you can't predict uh, when he had the appendectomy. And so the fact that he's been able to, to come on off that, off, off that rather quickly and, and get back into the lineup, and then he has a little bit of the like thing. 
but then he's been able to come on back from that as well. And so it, it, it's it's been an issue for the last number of years, uh, and obviously that's, that's one of the things that sort of has uh, slowed this team down uh, has been the injuries. But, you know, obviously in, in this division, um, the fact that they've had to deal with so many injuries and, and there's still, you know, so many games under 500, but still only five and a half back, Sort of speaks to just how this how this whole division is going and and and, and, and just the unpredictability of how you know, where where things stand and so you know the decision becomes now what is this ball club going to do you know how how long do you you know can if it, if it's if it's August and they're still five and a half back you know what sort of decisions do you make at the trade deadline because of that? You mentioned Eloy and you and I may have talked about this before the season a little bit where because it didn't seem like the outfield was really that insulated with anything the Sox have, were going to be able to count on coming into the year. I said it won't surprise me if we, if we still see a good amount of Eloy Jimenez in the outfield. And you know, it feels like we've still seen a good amount of Eloy Jimenez in the outfield when he's been healthy. How do you think that's gone? Yeah, I mean, well, it's almost become a necessity, right? Because I mean, once, you know, obviously they had uh, uh, Oscar here at the, at the start of the season and, and it just didn't pan on out. You know, you sort of just sort of uh, kind of had some good moments, but then just sort of still learning the game. And so they sent him on down to triple A. Um, and with the way that Jake Berger has been swinging the bat, you know, you had, you have to get him in the lineup. Uh, before, obviously before uh, Johan's injury, the, the best way for that to happen was to be the DH. And so that meant that, uh, Eloy was going to have to play as much outfield as possible. You know, playing out in right field, he he he's. We talked to him uh, a couple days ago, right before uh, his first game back after missing the four games, and he, you know, he he said, you know, he really likes playing right field. Um, obviously, overall, that's one of the things that we've talked about throughout the years has been just so how much more comfortable he feels in the outfield than when he DHs. He just is, he just sort of seems like he's. A little more, just sort of like he doesn't have to, to worry about at bat after at bat after at bat while he's sitting on the bench. You know, he can have the ability to just sort of go ahead and kind of concentrate on playing defense as well. And so, the one thing that he joked about, uh, the only different, you know, I asked him, well, how's it been as far as like, you know, the, the different angles and things of, that, things of that nature. And he said, well, you know, the, really the, the biggest thing that I've had to worry about is just, you know, how far the, the, the run is from uh, right field to the uh, home dugout. And so, so, so that's that's a little bit where where his mind is from that standpoint. But he's he's made some improvements. Uh, you know, it, it hasn't been a, a situation or where there's been a glaring uh, moment or two where I've been like, uh oh, you know, the, the ball when the ball's hit in his direction, it's going to be a, an adventure. Where where there were some issues when he was playing left field uh, earlier in his career, and so so far he's been he's been pretty good uh, out there in right field when the team is needing him out there. And it's like I said, it was a necessity. Uh, when Yohan was still here and you needed to get Jake Spat in the lineup. From a health perspective, you know, where Tam Anderson isn't on the IL at the moment, but Liam Hendricks, Yohan Mankata, Mike Clevenger, all are. Is there any positive health news or injury news for the Sox right now? Um, I think, the, you know, the, the Clevenger situation, you know, it's still kind of, all three of them are sort of like a wait and see, right? Uh, one thing with uh, Yohan, uh, that Pedro talked about yesterday was, you know, it, it might be a little bit of a good thing just to kind of get, you know, get him that rest because they they want to try to get him in a good enough spot to where that back can where he can be able to get played day in and day out. And it was clear that that wasn't going to be the case. Uh, the same thing with, with in Clevenger's case, you know, when he suffered that injury the other night in, in L.A., 
uh, when when that happened, you know, just his reaction, you thought, or I thought, I was like, oh man, this is going to be something that's going to be, uh, he's going to be out for a long, long time. Um, and so far, the, the the response, both from him, we've had the chance to talk to him for a couple of days, and, uh, and also Pedro, has been pretty positive. You know, there, there's no sort of timetable as far as how long he's going to be out. You know, just put him on the IL. Uh, they announced today. Uh, but but you know, it was one of those situations where like when you, when you took a look at it initially. Yeah, all of us that were in the press box were like, "Oh man, this is something that's going to be it's going to sideline him for quite a bit." And then we talked to Liam a little bit earlier today, and you know, it's still one of those things where it's still early in the process. Um, but you know, he, he's confident that he'll be able to get back on the mound and and be able to pitch and be able to make an impact uh, for this ball club. With Liam specifically, because of just the the unpredictable nature of what returning from cancer just does to the human that's body. That's a great point. That, yes. Yeah, that, that, you know, Anthony, that's, that's exactly what he was talking about as well. You know, that's part of the uncharted territory with this is that, you know, the, the, you know he's, he's still, uh, you know, with the effects of, of, the, uh, of the chemo and things of that nature, you know, the, yeah, there, there's so, so many unknowns that, that go on into this. And so that's why it is going to be one of those, you know, we, when we talked to him the other day, you know, the first thing he said was wait and see. And, and that's why it still is, even after – uh, you know, the, some of the early um, things that they've been able to do, it's still going to be a little bit of a process just because of the unpredictability of this, for sure. With that I'm in mind, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you did to to kind of, you know, put a button on, on that particular topic. For, for a player like Luis Robert, I, I do want to ask you about him before I, I let you run here because we have seen now with some extended time in the lineup, as you referenced earlier, what what his skills, what his athleticism can bring to the table. And it feels like maybe his overall feel for the game, where maybe earlier in the season there were some some errors that, that might have been there, uh, a lack of, of focus or urgency there at times. Is, is this, if anything, amongst you know all the things that we're wondering, how much of this is beyond Pedro Grifol to be able to correct so, because so many problems seem to predate him? It, it does feel like maybe – what we're seeing from Luis Robert is, is something that perhaps we can credit Pedro Grifol from, from making, you know, kind of some, you know, some tough managerial decisions, pulling him out of the lineup. And was that a bit of a fulcrum for where we've seen a more focused Luis Robert since then? You know, if, if you ask Pedro, he, he probably would downplay that a little bit. I think he, you know, it, because I think the big thing that's just sort of been having the ability to, to be healthy, play day in and day out, uh, and exhibit those skills and sort of learn from some of those earlier mistakes that he was that he was able to make. You know, it's not, he's, he's still going to have those stretches where uh, he's going to swing sort of at pitches and, you, and you'll be looking at a ball game and it's like, why is he swinging at that? You know, he'll he'll, ha- he'll still have those stretches where uh, where he'll he'll go like one for one for ten with a with a like five punch outs or things of that nature. But then but then when he makes those adjustments and he can kind of get on a little bit of a roll. Yeah, he's he's one of those top players in baseball, or he has the ability to be one of those top players in baseball. And, and you're seeing that when when he when he hit when when a pitcher makes a mistake in last night's game, uh, you know I think it was, I think the count was 0-2 or 1-2 uh, when he and, and the guy just left the slider right over the middle of the plate, and terrible pitch, and 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 the uh, Luis didn't miss it at all, and so. You know, it, it's making those adjustments. It's learning to make those adjustments, even in the middle of an at bat. Uh, that that's going to kind of t- take him to that next level, and you're and you're starting to see that a little bit. Like I said, you're still going to see those stretches where where he's going to uh, go 0 for 10 or 1 for 10 and with with a number of punch outs. Uh, but but when he gets on a little bit of a roll, you know, watch on out. And and the other thing that you know, it, it, we we talked 
a number of times about his defense, but it still kind of kind of marvels me that it's just the number of balls that he's able to get to, and and, and it seems almost seamlessly that he's able to get to that that can prevent uh, another rally or that that can save the team a run. And so you know, it, with with Luis, it's obviously the the, the raw power, the, the ability to hit the ball a long, long distance, but it's also that defensive ability that, that save a runner to that that's made him that all-around type of player. We will see what that ends up meaning out in Seattle tonight. The White Sox will be trying to see if they can get things turned around while they're on this West Coast swing. And who knows? You know, we, we're old enough to remember what it was like when Junior, Ken Griffey Jr., was out there roaming center field. And that's one of the comps that was there earlier in the career for Luis Robert. We'll see if he can make some of that Junior-type magic happen while the, uh, while the White Sox face the Mariners. And we know you will cover it as well as anyone, as always. Lamont, appreciate you taking the time tonight. Uh, thank you, Anthony. Always great talking to you. That is Lamont Pope of the Tribune, White Sox beat reporter. You can find him on Twitter at Lamont Pope. When we come back, there's a let, let's just call him a, a Chicago athlete uh, for you know just, just for the time being. You you will certainly uh, be familiar with a great investment that was made by. And an ownership position for one of the great Chicago athletes. And I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about on the other side of a break here. It's Anthony Heron on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. We're getting some responses on the text line to a topic from earlier in the show where I was talking about my trip to London and how the Cubs are preparing to face the Cardinals over in London in the days to come. So a little bit earlier in the show, uh, in the previous hour, I was just giving out some tips on what folks can hope for, what they can see, what what they may enjoy in uh, in going over to London. And, you know, some folks on the text line ended up responding with uh, some of the things that they've ended up doing in some of their trips to London. One thing I didn't mention, the Churchill War Rooms. That uh, amongst, I mentioned just kind of 
broadly, some of the museums and exhibits that we went to, the cathedrals, churches that we checked out while we were there. I'd say one of the highlights of the week we spent in London was the Churchill War Rooms. Now, I'm a big guy, uh, as uh, denoted by my, my social media handle at Big Aunt Heron. Um, but the Churchill War Rooms, when you go down into, it almost feels like the catacombs when, when you're down in there because it's, the, it's legitimately the area that Winston Churchill, <clears throat> during the war, where he, he would go, a lot of his staff was down there and they would have, you know, they would make their plans for how the upcoming attacks would go, uh, you know, end up, you know, getting all their intel into the same spot. They would make their plans, but it was kind of a safe space as things, you know, as the countryside was being shelled in, in different ways. London was under attack at different times and they would be underground. And so they'd have some of the actual artifacts down there, but the, you know, the spacing was, you know, hadn't really been expanded very much. But there were certain areas where you really got a true sense for just how, you know, how low the ceilings were, how tight some of the uh, the corridors were that they were operating in. But, you know, they had some more space that was actually broader and had a, a more true, true kind of museum sort of feel to it. So you could actually navigate your way around a bit. But the Churchill War Rooms are certainly worth your time if you end up going to London and, and wanting to check out some of those things, just, you know, sort of a historical perspective and really getting a, a more of a legitimate feel for uh, for what some of those areas and what those times kind of felt like. So we, we really got a, we really, really enjoyed checking out the Church of War Rooms, but some of the folks on the text line who've been responding a bit, some folks talking about how just driving in London, how small the roads were, 312 texters saying they didn't realize how small the roads were going to be when they took a trip to London no real SUVs out there, just what they would term as G-Wagons. And um, uh, another texter uh, just talking about doing London and Scotland in the same trip and agreeing with me that the London Pass was totally worth it. That was from a, a 630 texter. And the the castles are awesome just because we don't have them here, so it's not like you can necessarily just walk stateside and roam different places or take a road trip from Chicago to Milwaukee and just drive by a bunch of castles on the way there. You may see open plains, open fields, you know, like where I went to college in Iowa, if you're going to go drive through Nebraska. Yeah, there's plenty of wide open plains, but you drive through the wide open plains, once you get out of London, you're going to see some castles somewhere, some manors, you know, things like that, palaces. You don't really have those here stateside, so glad some folks were enjoying that as well. Uh, different 630 texts are talking about a picture they took uh, going down the escalator at the tube stop. Yeah, it's it's tight confines. It's not quite Churchill War Rooms tight, but it, it's definitely uh, it's a sight to behold, and it's an experience. Now, fortunately for me at my size, I've like got a sister who gets claustrophobic at a really, really high level. Um, I fortunately don't experience that, so the tube stops didn't bother me, but if, if that type of stuff bothers you, if, if feeling confined and enclosed is much of an issue for you, then you know, uh, gird your loins, get, get, your, get your mind right. Be, be ready for that. If you're gonna go and, and try to check out some of the t- these uh, tube stops in London, and three one two texter says we played a few nights at Royal Albert Hall, one of the oldest venues there. So good to get some response on the text line as we were having our London discussion early in the show. As the Cubs are getting ready to head over there, we'll close the show in, in a little while. I'll talk a little bit of Paris and, and try to help uh, Justin Fields and his uh, his people who are heading over there get prepared for that trip. Well, there's a bit of news that came out earlier today that it didn't necessarily seem like a lot of folks 
in the public sector were were prepared for, were anticipating. But came out today that Michael Jordan is finalizing the sale of the Charlotte Hornets. He owned well over 90% of the Charlotte Hornets, and he's owned that since uh, he, he bought the initial minority stake in the team back in 2006, became the majority owner back in 2010. And he bought it at that point for about $275 million. And as of today, the sale that's being finalized is for reportedly $3 billion. Now, the success or lack thereof in the time that Michael Jordan has owned the Charlotte Hornets, there's been a problem. You know, hadn't been a whole lot of success. Not a lot of playoff appearances, certainly no legitimately deep playoff runs. And so whether you think about his time with the Hornets or his time running the Washington Wizards, Michael Jordan, the executive, it's, it's fair to say, has paled in comparison to Michael Jordan, the player. And there's not a whole lot in, in the sports industry that could ever rival what Michael Jordan meant as a player. Um, I saw even just the, in 1998 alone, like the combined worth of all the NBA teams was, um, you know, several hundred million dollars, like maybe like a half a billion dollars. But then the impact that Michael Jordan had just in 1998 alone had on the global economy was $10 billion. Now, that wasn't his revenue generated, but just a, a report of the impact he had on the global economy just in 1998 alone was $10 billion, while the total net worth of all NBA franchises was about, was about a half billion dollars in 98. So it's, uh, it's pretty striking when you look at the contrast between the financial success of Michael Jordan, the, uh, the, the competitive success of Michael Jordan as a player, as a basketball player, as an athlete. I mean, hell, you can talk about him as a minor league baseball player. You can make the case that if he would have stuck that thing out a little bit longer, certainly if he would have began it at a younger age, what he started to do uh, with the in, in the Sox minor league, uh, with their minor league organizations there, that he would have maybe had a, a real shot at 6'6 and a, a stick-framed sort of wiry build to maybe actually do something as an outfielder and a hitter. But that's a completely different topic. Uh, but Michael Jordan as an investor, I mean – even as the team was not winning, was not successful, you buy in for $275 million and sell it just over a decade later, I mean, you know, 13 years later as the majority owner for $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion. So a profit tenfold in 13 years. Now, you know, it's one thing for that. If you get a tenfold profit, let's say he, he invested $275. And then, you know, whatever, like 13 years later, if he got three grand coming back at him, he'd say, okay, at least you got a return on your investment there tenfold in 13 years. All right, you can't be too mad at that. I mean, you know, you got to have $275 million available to you. You got to have access to it to buy into something like that. But if somebody told you, you got 275 to put into it and you're going to get tenfold, over tenfold coming back 13 years later, yeah, that, that's not a bad gig if you can get it, as Tyler and I were talking about during the uh, the commercial break. So, I, you know, he hasn't had competitive success in running teams. And, you know, overall, you would certainly credit the larger success of the NBA for a lot of that individual financial success. 
that's there for the individual teams. And that's a part of, and, you know, for those who may not know, I was involved in, in the senior executive structure with the Arena Football League. So I've, I've been around the, the ownership of franchises, how the board meetings operate when you're evaluating new ownership groups to come in, what the, the fees associated are, how those votes go with board members as you're you know, trying to evaluate who you let into the league and certainly in evaluating and comparing that with what happens in the NBA and the NFL and beyond is a, a different thing in scale financially, but procedurally we did things the same exact way in the AFL versus what the, the bigger, more lucrative professional sports leagues end up doing. But there's a reason it's so difficult to actually get involved in professional sports ownership, certainly at the majority level, and there's a reason why it can be so hard to run certain owners off. You know, it, it took years for the NFL to run Daniel Snyder off of the Washington football team, of the commanders, and now they finally are in the process of getting that done. And it's not even final and official yet. I mean, you know, the price tag is $6 billion with a B. So you think about that, what the, I mean, you can make the case that it's comparable. The, the lack of any consistent success or really success at all in recent years that the commanders have had is, is, is probably comparable to around the, the space that the Charlotte Hornets have operated in. Yeah, there's been the odd playoff appearance here and there, but nothing sustained. But you do have a fan base that's passionate about the sport, a region of the country that's passionate about basketball in the Charlotte area, region of the country in the D.C. area that's passionate about football and sports in general. The commanders haven't sustained any su- success, but they're still, because they're an NFL franchise, they're worth $6 billion. It's going to be the richest deal for a professional sports franchise in the history of the United States. And so, I mean, you know, Charlotte, the Hornets, they're at $3 billion. That's a huge sum of money. That's, um, I would imagine, not even close to the, the richest NFL franchise in, in net value, though. But Michael Jordan, in 13 years, went from paying $275 million to become the majority owner of the Hornets. And now, 13 years later, $3 billion, with a B, dollars is what he's getting as a for the net sale of that. Now, over the years, been operational costs and probably player salaries and you know league fees and everything else that come into it. But as far as what changes hands, you're going to have a net profit on an annual basis uh, with these deals. So, you know, as much as there has not been success on the playing surface, on the court, certainly just the latest example of financial success for Michael Jordan. And we went and watched the movie Air uh, not too long ago, just a few weeks back, went and checked that out. Uh, got a kick out of that. I did like in the movie Air, by the way, just as a quick side note, that you really never saw the actor playing Michael Jordan. Spoiler alert. You never really see the actor's face who's playing MJ. MJ's always just kind of a, a side figure, a background character. You see the back of the head. You see the over the shoulder, all those types of things. But you never really see the actor himself. I would imagine that was a creative choice by Ben Affleck just to, you know, because Michael Jordan is still a prominent public figure and one of the most famous faces on the planet and, you know, didn't want that to necessarily distract from the focus of the plot, which was more the people making the deal for the Air Jordans and, you know, Viola Davis playing Dolores Jordan and just how the, the focus of the plot really didn't center around Michael Jordan or any real dialogue or involvement from Michael Jordan. It was all these sort of, you know, exterior, ancillary types of pieces that were around making that deal happen. And I, I enjoyed the movie, by the way. Um, but one of the central figures of the plot line in that movie was how Michael and his mother, Dolores Jordan, that they wanted to 
ensure that the level of success they were confident in Michael Jordan having, that the way the deal would end up playing out, that there would be a level of, of ownership, a level of, of, of credit, of revenue that would come from the, the sale of the Air Jordan shoe in a way that no other athlete had ever experienced before. And you know, when you look at the success of the NBA from the onset of Michael Jordan's career over all these years since then, you, know, you would certainly say that the, the league, that Nike and Phil Knight and everybody else has gotten paid even more than tenfold off of everything that, went in, that was involved in that went around uh, Michael Jordan and his just individual sort of you know, supernova status that he attained pretty early in his professional career. So this is just the, the latest financial W for, uh, for MJ, as it were, just for the $3 billion sale that's being reported for him with the, the Charlotte Hornets. It's one of the basketball note before I get to a timeout here. Just the, the John Morant news, which is, you know, there, there are so many details that can be gone into with, with that story, with how it played out. Um, but I'm sure many of you who are listening saw earlier today the NBA, uh, they announced there's going to be a 25-game suspension for Memphis Grizzlies guard John Morant that's going to start right away at the beginning of the season. He got suspended for eight games last year for a social media post with him at a nightclub flashing a gun at that point. And that, that, that was the latest in a, a series of concerning things, troubling events that kind of surrounded John Morant and, and people who were in John Morant's orbit. Then you had this social media post um, you know, that, that came out in March. Uh, well, March was the previous suspension, and then you had this one that actually uh, just took place a, a few weeks back. And now the NBA has announced, now the NBA finals are over, They've announced they're going to suspend him for for 25 games uh, during this coming basketball season. I don't have a big issue with the number. I know a lot of folks were expecting maybe half the season or beyond. I think, you know, 25 games is is a significant chunk of time. I know there have been some opinions that have been voiced today about, you know, maybe even having the, whether it's a longer period of time with more games missed or perhaps, you know, just as as a young athlete that, he may even learn a bigger, better lesson if he's not allowed to be around the team at all or things of that ilk. To, to not have the additional idle time, I think that's – it's probably a my, – my impression is it's a calculated decision by the NBA to be more heavy-handed with the amount of games missed here, with the money, the revenue that will be lost by John Morant while not trying to completely bury the Memphis Grizzlies as a team for this coming season because they are one of the up-and-coming brands in the NBA. You have a fan base that's very impassioned about the team itself and what they've begun to grow around John Morant. And you have an individual talent. And, you know, how a talent like John Morant ends up at Murray State, I still haven't done a deep dive on how that ended up happening, but the immaturity, let's call it, that we've seen in his very early in his NBA career would seem to indicate that was probably a part of why, because from a talent perspective, no reason to think he wouldn't have been able to compete at the major college level. We've certainly seen that uh, since his time at Murray state and now into the, the NBA. But you know, is, is this just the second of three strikes You know, who knows how many strikes a talent like John Morant ends up getting, but it does seem like the NBA is trying to sort of, you know, systematically ramp things up a bit as opposed to saying that they're just going to kind of, you know, throw him out with the bathwater, throw him to the wolves, and just, you know, hope that he figures this out on his own. There should be, and with all major professional sports leagues at this point, there are systems in place 
that athletes can take advantage of to still have a, a support system in place from their individual team, from the league at large. And so even while on suspension, I do think it's important for, and I'm sure Adam Silver and the NBA are at least looking to, to try and see how can they make sure that John Morant is, is at least showing, you know, displaying whether or not it's true, but at least trying to display the actions of someone that, that will learn from these mistakes. And, you know, they're very similar mistakes that just some common person walking down the street might make, and it wouldn't be, even be termed as a mistake. We see politicians involved in what can be viewed as similar activities, whether that's on social media, whether that's on their Christmas cards and displaying firearms and everything else. John Moran is in a different position than those individuals. His employer, who employs you know, hundreds of, of young, talented basketball players and coaches, have a, a different set of guidelines for the behavior that they expect from those who represent their brand in the NBA. So, you know, while it hasn't been determined there's criminal behavior in this case from John Morant, but he has already been suspended for this very similar behavior by the NBA. I'm glad it didn't end up going to a full season or even a half season. I don't really take big issue with that, but I do hope that they're going to try to make sure that they have some systems in place where John Morant won't be, won't have too much idle time where he's got to kind of figure things out on his own. We'll come back real quick, final segment that I will bring you here this Friday night edition. Also, as we lead into Father's Day weekend, share a quick personal note on that as well. This is Anthony Heron on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We're back live with more Anthony Heron on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. All right, so I did say I was going to try to get back around to some uh, some Paris tips for uh, for Justin Fields and the crew. We're not going to go through the whole uh, you know holiday road theme with uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation, but I will say this: it, it is the most gorgeous. Well. One of the most gorgeous cities, and certainly it lives up to the the theme of being a very romantic city as well. But that you know you don't have to go to Paris for romance, but it does live up to to that vibe uh, when when you go there. But you know whether you want to go to the, the Eiffel Tower or the Louvre or anywhere else, Justin Fields, while you're there, I hope you take it all in. Um, you know we, we certainly uh, we spent a day trip in Versailles as well, kind of checking out everything that we could while we were there, and. Um, you know, we took a, a boat ride on the river, did the river tour. It, it was all good while we were in Paris. This was this was more years ago, but Paris is probably the main spot just from a singular city perspective, a place that my wife and I have gone to around the globe where I'm very eager to go back just because we were there for like a week and just couldn't get everything in. So I'm eager to, to see it again. Uh, so I hope Justin Fields has a, a safe and an enjoyable time there. Uh, like I've been referencing at different points throughout the show, this weekend is, of course, Father's Day weekend. And I haven't talked about it a lot on the air just over the past year, but I did. I lost my dad just over a year ago. Uh, it was about really a, a week ago this time was the one-year anniversary 
of when uh you know myself my siblings my mom my family we we lost uh my dad at that point so it's um yeah i don't don't know i don't know exactly what i'm going to feel like on sunday i do know i'm going to feel grateful for for the father that i had for being a father to a son that my wife and i feel so very blessed by so i I just hope that all of you who experience this coming father's day weekend that we're kind of stepping into here as soon as i sign off on the air as i told you i'm going to declare that that is the official start of father's day weekend once i sign off in a couple of moments here but you know my father robert heron was just a a remarkable man a vietnam war veteran and, and awarded um a member of the army during the Vietnam War, you know, grew up in the 40s in Winona, Mississippi, when it wasn't a, cer- certainly it still isn't a time to uh, a, a, an easy time to grow up in Mississippi. But when you're doing it in the 40s, that was you, you can imagine some of the, the stories I heard from my dad of being a, a young kid in Mississippi at that point in years past. But um, I will be I will be back here with you on Monday, and I would imagine that. Because uh, I'll be paired with Danny Parkins. I'll be on with Parkins. Uh, I'll be in for Speaks on the Parkins and Spiegel show on Monday. Uh, so that'll be the day after Father's Day. It'll be Juneteenth. So I'm going to be working on Juneteenth. I'll do my Sirius XM Big Ten radio show that morning. And I'll, I'll be on with Danny Parkins uh, in the afternoon up until Cubs baseball. But my plan would certainly be, uh, you know, since Danny recently lost uh, his dad as well. That I'm sure we'll spend a moment kind of recounting some Father's Day memories. But like I referenced, I don't even know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to feel like doing throughout the day. But I will be with family. There's no doubt about that. And I appreciate being with you here, at least uh, auditorially, throughout the evening for the last three hours here. And thanks to the great guests who joined me on the show tonight. Uh, my thanks to Herb Howard, to Michael Cerami, to Lamont Pope for being with me throughout the evening here. My thanks to my guy Tyler Farringal on the ones and twos for me throughout the show with all the great audio that we played for you throughout the evening. And my appreciations and salutations to you for listening to Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.